I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Chapter 9 Street Life The street life outside the bookshop provided a wealth of stimulation. From dawn until about 8am, a street market would operate, although the pursuit and consumption of food was an all-day activity. There was a steady stream of bent-over grandmothers with bowls of rice, chasing their toddler charges, various neighbours tucking into steaming fur breakfasts, while school kids lined up for baguettes of pâté and salad. By lunch hour, food would be delivered by boys riding bicycles. One hand held high, expertly balancing a tray laden with a selection of foods from the local Kombinzan smorgasbord. Open for lunch, most streets had a favoured kombinzan for eat-in or speedy delivery. Literally translated as reasonably priced rice, these street-side stalls usually displayed a huge array of tasty foods for the midday rush. Chunks of carp and dried squid, deep-fried or boiled meats, lots of offal, brains, kidneys and pig intestine, steamed rice, noodles and tofu. A clear chicken stock with spring onions, vegetables and herbs, tomatoes, potatoes, string beans, fresh basil and mint, the inescapable morning glory drenched in garlic and oyster sauce. Peanuts and fried silkworm larvae add to the mix. Nothing could have been prepared and served faster than a plate piled high from the Kombinzan, but fast food was sometimes advertised on boards outside restaurants, code to indicate that foreign food was available. All over town, menus had been transposed in declining Vinglish, offering unsavoury plates of clod spaghetti, steamed discharge and shrimps in shitty sauce. Each morning saw an ad hoc butchery run by Mr Twan's family arrive on the cement paving next door to the bookshop. Various bits of pig or chicken would be cleavered to customer requirements. The fish guy, meanwhile, flogged his fare opposite. I would drink my morning coffee and watch, as he and his wife sold carp from a large cooler, chopping single steaks from a live fish, flapping and gasping on the cutting board. Similarly, the frog lady would deposit herself on my doorstep at 6am and briskly hack the legs off live frogs for her customers. The legs went one way, and the poor frog, desperate to jump away, paralysed and confused, remained fixed, until the old woman swept their bodies aside. The poor things couldn't even scream. I didn't like the frog lady. It was harrowing to watch multiple amputations before I'd finished breakfast. If I were quick enough, I would shuffle her on to another doorway. Occasionally, the duck lady would show up in cahoots with the fish guy. She would also arrive around 6am on a bicycle festooned with live ducks, each in a small plastic bag tied at the neck, their quacking heads spouting from the top. She could somehow load 30 to 40 ducks this way onto her bicycle. The fish guy would unload the birds and place them on the pavement, where they would stay put. Cleverly, 
Jamming a duck feet first into a plastic bag and securing it around its neck, they're unable to waddle away. The fish guy squatting on the pavement would grab a duck in a bag and take its head off with a deft blow, his cutting board gradually disappearing under a mound of dead duck heads. My imagination thought, perhaps, the last duck figured out too late this wasn't the trip to the movies they'd all been expecting. Foreigners like me eventually got a little desensitised to the blood and gore going on around them, but one thing was for sure. All Vietnamese kids knew exactly where their dinners came from. Every day, men sat in the street outside the bookshop, drinking tea or smoking rough tobacco burnt in a large bamboo bong. In the nearby laneway, a coffee house served small cups topped with a metal drip filter, creating the super-caffeinated Hanoi brew. Songbirds for sale in bamboo cages were slung between doorways. Outside the building, the local barber lounged in his chair waiting for clients, a tarnished mirror hanging awkwardly from a nail in the wall. From the bookshop, you could hear tin-pot orchestras blasting from cheap loudspeakers throughout the day and night, mutilating Happy Birthday, Old Lang Syne, all the inevitable da-dee-da, da-dee-da, signalling vendors of popcorn, weighing machines or ice cream were closing in. The newspaper seller had a loudspeaker, didn't everyone, attached to the handlebars of his bicycle, blaring out a pre-recording of the day's and possibly the following week's headlines. Fortune tellers roamed the streets with a scale on rollers, topped with a metered ruler. A printout told your fortune along with your weight and height. For foreigners, goaded into paying a few dong to try the machine, a recording boomed in Vietnamese. Too fat! Too fat! Only one person! Only one person! Hundreds of other street vendors prowled the district, selling everything imaginable. Fresh coconuts, cigarettes, a superhero zoo of helium balloons, plastic spinning windmills, live fish in plastic bags, clothes, brooms, towels, plastic kitchenware, all of it draped on bicycles and wheeled around the neighbourhood. Overly enthusiastic computer boys from neighbourhood shops would sometimes be called in to clean hard drives infected by viruses. Distrustful of their expertise, I would linger in the bookshop during repairs having once had the entire computer's innards dismantled and spread over the floor, checking for leaks. His previous job had been motorcycle repair. Most evenings during summer, the crab lady would set up her tables and boil blue swimmer crabs, expertly immersed and extracted from a salty broth. A sturdy nutcracker was offered with a cold Hanoi beer and a high-octane dipping sauce of salt, garlic and chilli on the side. Late every night in every city in Vietnam, thousands of women sweep the streets, swishing brooms in great arcs till dawn. Other teams push rubbish carts and collect the piles of trash. There were no rubbish bins. Trash was thrown out directly onto the street. Riding a bicycle around town late in the evening, you ran the gauntlet of being hit by smelly bags of dinner refuse. One of my neighbours once had a loud altercation with the rubbish lady for all to see. A major faux pas. Why would anyone anywhere argue with the person who takes away their stinking garbage? Unsurprisingly, my neighbour's putrefying trash was not collected for weeks. 
Among the armies of scavengers, some tore through the cast-offs hoping to find some plastic, glass or other valuable item they could sell for a few dong. Foreigner houses were a prime target. Each night, my garbage would be swooped on before I even made it back inside my door. The speed at which they launched themselves at my garbage after it had barely left my hand, I thought it gave me a tenuous connection with Charlize Theron or Julia Roberts and what they must endure from the paparazzi. Three or four women would dart out of the shadows and pick over my discarded bag of vegetable scraps, bits of plastic and general dirt or dust. I was a sorry disappointment to them. I never had any good stuff. Although I earned some respect for the one time I turfed out a dead compressor from an air conditioner. Because everything was picked over, some care was needed about what was discarded. Paper, for instance, was much sought after, and personal letters or bank statements should be shredded or burnt. A friend, to his horror, found his personal correspondence pasted on the inside of a papier-mâché mask, discovered at a shop in Paper Street. Most days, the flower ladies would show up en masse for the neighbourhood street markets. Women on bicycles would pedal into town at around 4am from outside of Hanoi to the flower market in Westlake, loaded with huge wicker baskets stacked with blooms. By 6am, 10 or 15 would line up with the other sellers outside the bookshop. Although it took nearly a year, I negotiated a flower supply at the local price and the bookshop received regular deliveries of armfuls of roses for a few dollars. The very clear delineation between foreigner prices and local prices for everything was a little wearing. I had a long-standing dispute with the electric company and the landlady, because my power was being stolen. Impossible, I was told. The electric bills, although cheap, had steadily risen to a ridiculous monthly expense, even though most things were turned off in the building. The bookshop was practically in the dark. I spent a year fuming over these escalating bills. I couldn't figure out exactly who was stealing the power, although I assumed it was the adjacent orphanage. This I was prepared to accept, but things had got out of hand. Were the orphans running an aluminium smelter? I wouldn't put it past the crafty little buggers. Stealing power or any other sort of utility, was a perfectly normal, if somewhat dangerous, activity in Vietnam. A compliant power company guy was happy to hook you into your neighbour's power for ten bucks. For another ten bucks, he'll hook your neighbour into their neighbour. If you could find an eight-year-old electrician, he'd do it for seven and probably fry himself. The Patsy Foreigner Bookshop was easy pickings. Eventually, a solution was crafted when months of negotiation, bullying and straight-out bribery hadn't worked. I collected Mr Twan and told him I wasn't paying my electric bill. I proudly announced the electric company was going to cut off my power. Slowly, the implications of this action for Mr Twan's family and other neighbours became apparent. I waited all morning. Word got around. I didn't have my power cut off, but I didn't pay any of the bills until they dropped to a reasonable amount, about a fifth of what I had been paying, as my neighbours slowly disconnected from my line and stole their power from some other sucker. The restaurant across the road was motivated to try the same, with a similar outcome. It emerged that between the two of us, we had been paying for the entire street of about 30 families. There was a steady stream of locals passing through the shop, 
including the daily arrival of Tang, the shoeshine boy, a good-looking guy in his late teens who slept rough nearby. After being a regular visitor for a number of years, he arrived one day with an apprentice. I paid up as usual and offered an extra dollar for the kid. The kid turned out to be his older brother and was 23. Street traders hung around outside the bookshop in the hope of selling their wares to the bookshop customers or the busload of tourists visiting nearby restaurants. Postcards, clacking ocarinas in the shape of frogs. Less successful hawkers tried to flog plastic buckets, mops or light bulbs to bewildered Japanese, Koreans or Germans. The Bang Mi ladies lined the road in an adjacent street, squatting beside hessian sacks of crusty bread. Calling out what sounded like Bang Me Now, some would make their way past the bookshop by mid-morning, just in time for lunch. Meanwhile, very late at night, when practically all were sleeping, a lone seller on a bicycle could be heard sing-song advertising his wares. This went on for years, a haunting call approaching and fading as he trundled down the street. I've still no idea what essential item he was hawking after midnight. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 